Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. This is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. It's four o'clock, so I guess we'll start. Uh, my name is Bruce Davis, and I've sort of been dragooned into being the moderator of this panel, uh, which is uh, how do you get your great ideas on the page, which kind of covers a lot of ground because I'm not really sure whether this is about how you get into print, which is the ultimate goal, obviously. Or uh, just how do you get started on the process of writing? So why don't we all just introduce ourselves? Let's start at the end. I'm James Owen. Um, I'm a writer, illustrator. Um, I've been published by the big New York publishers, and I've self-published. So I've I've done just a little bit of everything: um, comics, fantasy novels, and nonfiction books. So um, I think that's probably why I was asked. It's like I can comment on this from a variety of perspectives. I'm Judy Koch. I write the Alien Cats and Kitty Cat series for Dog Books, as well as a whole lot of others. And I'm also with uh, Traditional Big Five, Traditional Small Press, and Self-Published. My name is Tom Levine, and I am currently traditionally published for the most part with imprints of Random House, Simon Schuster, and Abrams. I also just recently, which I can't announce to be full, but I recently signed a deal to write some comics for Image, which is going to be really cool, but I can't tell you which one. Um, and also bring uh, 22 years of theater background to my writing. Uh, I'm Bruce Davis. I'm uh, probably the least well qualified person to be up here, actually. I have, You're a I doctor. Have, I have several novels uh, in print, mostly self-published. I was with a very small press that got picked up by Penguin, but Penguin declined to pick me up. Oh well. Uh, in my day job, I'm a trauma surgeon. And I've written a memoir of uh, that series of small essays about um, just what we do in that kind of field and patient stories and things like that. So I've done a lot of writing. So if it's how do you get the idea out of your head on the page, I'm pretty good at that kind of stuff. I'd actually like to ask how many people are in the room are aspiring authors? How many people are just readers? We like you best. Um, <laughs> and how many people are here because they don't know why they were dragged by somebody else? It's just a comfortable story. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's all right. That's all right. We'll try to be entertaining. <laughs> They're like, no, we heard there's going to be a really cool panel in six hours, and we're getting our seats now. We're just going straight to kill, eh? 
Um, yes, so let's tell I, I do actually, now that I remember what, what it was, I got a thing. Jean's got a thing to say, so. I never have a problem talking. If you haven't met Jean, she always has a thing to say. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. I'm very shy of retiring. Um, very flushing well fun. Um, basically, for those that are, are starting out, there's a lot of advice. We're going to give you some today. There's a couple things to always remember. There is really only one hard and fast rule in this business, and that is money flows to the author. Do not pay to play. If someone says they're going that they want um, to publish you, but if you just give them X number of thousands of dollars, you need to run, not walk, but run in the opposite direction. But Jenny, what if this agent says to assign me once I take their class? Run. <laughs> From a, from a run far away. Agents aren't busy trying to make you take the class to make their money. Agents make their money by selling your books for to a good publisher, getting you a good contract of which they get 15%. So money flows to the author. That is the, the one steadfast fast rule. The other rule is that grammar, punctuation, syntax, word usage, and anything else that relates to the actual craft of writing really, really matters, especially to agents and editors. Okay, so really doing the, oh, I don't need to spell that right, someone else will fix that, is the surefire way to make nobody like you, including readers. Um, you do have to treat this as a professional. Everything else, including pretty much everything we're going to say, is more of a guideline. Uh, anytime someone says there's only one way, what they're really telling you is this is the way that I do it, and therefore that's the way you have to do it, and that's not true. I would have been writing 20 years earlier than I started had I not heard a teacher who even at 15 and a half I knew was an idiot say that the only way you could write is to outline. That's great for term papers, and that's great for business proposals, but for creative writing, there's many other ways that you can write, and I happen to be an extreme linear writer. I found out 20 years later when I, the voices in my head were so loud, I had to start writing to shut them <coughs> up. Okay, so anything we're saying here, you need to take it with a grain of salt and say, will that work for me? Other than money flows to the author, and please, God, use punctuation. It's, it's really there for a reason. Can I jump in, Jane? Huh? I would make one comment about the money flows to the author. I, I completely agree with what Jenny's saying, but unless you are yourself an outstanding copy editor or have a family or a personal friend who is an outstanding copy editor, it is very much worth your while to actually pay someone to do the copy edit on your work. I agree. Make sure that they're qualified, though. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, and they can be found, you can talk to other authors, find out what other people have used. But as Jane pointed out, you have about five words, maybe five sentences, to impress an agent or, or a prospective publisher with your work. And if you've missed a comma or misspelled a word, they will not read beyond that, literally. They will stop right there, and no matter how good your book is, they'll toss it in the trash. So you really, really have to have that thing so polished that they won't find any fault with it. Taurus slush room is the size of this room, stacked to from top to bottom with submissions. Now you tell me when they have their reading party, where everybody comes in and they pull in friends and family and everybody sits down and they have pizza and soda and beer, and they go through it, you tell me that they're going to get to the middle of your book 
when you have 15 misspellings on the first page. When they need a break, they're gonna laugh about it, and you're getting burned, literally. You're going back in the box or you're going back into the trash. Okay, so do not make ever make the mistake of thinking that you're such a special snowflake <laughs> that you're, you can do all the crap and it's brilliant, brilliant. Write a good book, and by good book, read books that are on the shelves. I know James has something. Well, you know, um, the thing about, about proper, proper word use, um, that's pretty much all we have to work with. If you're a storyteller, if you're a writer, especially if you want to do this professionally, um, you have to respect the tools that you are using. And so somebody who's convinced that they have such an awesome story that they didn't need to pay attention to, you know, proper word use and punctuation and spelling and just, you know, slough that off as, well, somebody else will fix that. That's what editors are for. Well, you know what? It's like hiring somebody to build your house. And you say, did you use all the nails that it was called for in the blueprints? Well, most of them. You know, somebody will come and fix that later. Or a surgeon, hey, did you remove all that tumor? Well, yeah, most of it. Um, if you're a writer, that's, that's how you're going to impress them, is doing everything right. I see lots of people at seminars where I've taught um, that they think the guidelines for submission are suggestions. And they are absolutes. <laughs> yeah. And when they say no, they said not to use a flowery font, but I just thought this, this font looked really good. You've already disregarded the instructions of the editor who said, here's what I need you to do to look at your work. How are they going to feel about working with you when suddenly hundreds of thousands of dollars and other people's jobs and manufacturing costs and distribution and advertising are all on the line? They're not. They're not going to get to that point because you couldn't actually deliver the manuscript in the font they asked for. Um, following instructions, you know, it's, it's them figuring out what kind of a partner you're going to be. Um, you know, all those, all those things apply to wanting to do this for a living. Um, the other stuff, actually getting it on the page. Um, I just read something, oh, it was uh, uh, Tobin, uh, M.T. Anderson, said something about if all you write is two pages a day, at the end of a year, you're going to have a book that's too long and has to be edited anyway. <laughs> but you can finish a book in a year, doing two pages a day. Um, I, took, I took my guideline from uh, a science fiction author uh, who, who was very prominent in the 60s and 70s. Um, four pages. Four pages a day. 800 words or so. If you want to do this professionally, you can find time to write 800 words. Um, if you can't, then you need to reassess what your goals are. Uh, if you're spending time doing anything else, watching TV for an hour instead of writing that 800 words, then it's not a priority. I know you've never been sexier right now than right now because that's, that's my number one. Never been sexier than right now. 800 <laughs> words? No. No, no. no. <laughs> no it was turned off. Well, okay, the TV, you know, um, we all watch it. I like it when I'm drawing, I like the noise. Um, I tend to watch like West Wing marathons because it's all dialogue driven. I don't have to pay attention to the TV so I can draw. Um, but think about the number of things you do that don't contribute to those goals of being a writer. Just a half hour you know, comedy program. Ditch the half hour of TV and sit down and try to write 800 words. Um, sometimes you can do it in half an hour. Sometimes it takes all day. Depends on the day, depends on the chapter, depends on what you're working on. 
but four pages a day is not impossible. I've seen people write that much just ranting about the election. <laughs> you know, if those people are also writers, okay, rechannel your interviews, my young Padawan. And it, it's remarkably easy to do because sometimes if you focus on that as a goal, you suddenly get up from the computer and you realize you've written 1,800 words. And you realize, wow, I'm most of the way through a chapter. And um, as far as just general advice for getting it on the page goes, you, you'd be hard pressed to uh, do better than butt and chair. Yep. Put yes. your butt in the chair and put the words on the paper or the screen. And I think the real key to writing is actually writing. Whether you use a pen and paper, whether you use a computer or processing, just write. With, with that in mind, are any of us up here outliners? I know Jean is not. No, I'm not, but let Tom answer too. We, we, talk, okay. we didn't let Tom answer. No, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. 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 sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about outlines though? Yeah, anybody outlines? Yeah. So here's, I didn't use chair. <coughs> Excuse me. Did not use to outline at all. I was what was called a pantser. You might have maybe encountered that phrase before. Like, we are trying to story. Yeah, you can see what happened. And then go Extremely fix it later. linear writer. Yes, very much. And then I discovered the hero's journey. Oh, <laughs> everything changed. I was like, oh my gosh, and now there's the descent. Oh, and the father figure. Oh, this is brilliant. No one has ever heard of the hero's journey before but me. <laughs> Certainly not George Lucas. So I thought this was. The most amazing that I've ever found. So now I'm going to write my next book, following step by step the hero's journey. So I did, and it sucked ass. <laughs> it was terrible. So I stopped doing that, went back to just making it up as I went. Um, and that wasn't quite as good anymore, though. It's like, what the hell? So now what I do is get maybe half to even three quarters of a book out, just, just having fun, doing the pants thing, and then I will kind of overlay Hero's Journey on top of it, and that shows me almost like an x-ray of, of places that maybe I've missed or where places might be a little bit weak or could be stronger. Um, so I, I now kind of hybrid my outline and make it up as I go. Um, I... Uh... <clears throat> developed what I do, basically working in comics. And then the, the thing that I switched to is illustrated fantasy novels. So I did covers, but each one of the chapters is illustrated old school style with an illustration. Like Treasure Island and Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland. That's what I wanted to emulate. But it also helps me with creating the books because what I do is a one page uh, sort of outline where I have the chapters and I'll put in chapter titles and there's a lot more structure to these books than most people realize. I did seven novels in this series. Every one of them is 24 chapters broken down into six sections of four chapters each. So I had a structure um, going in. <clears throat> so I can lay out those chapters on a single sheet of paper, put in titles to give myself a direction of where I want the story to go. Then I'll write notes to the side about what should be happening with those characters in those chapters. And I treat that like my roadmap. Um, if I've got that one page outline with all the notes scribbled on it, um, I say it's like taking a trip from Los Angeles to New York, and the notes on those chapters are the destinations I have to go to for a successful trip. So I have to go to Salt Lake and Cincinnati and Detroit and New Orleans and Pittsburgh before I get to the end of the journey. Everything along the way, side trips, are allowed as long as I hit those destination points. And so that's the, that's the freedom I have to improvise, but I know I have the structure I have to follow. Then I do two by two inch by three inch thumbnail sketches 
of what the illustrations are going to be that go with the chapters. And if I have a chapter where I don't have a single image that is strong enough for an illustration, then I know the chapter's got a problem. Uh, I, I don't want you guys to have to read 3,000 words that wasn't interesting enough for me to draw a picture to a company. And, and sometimes the whole book has changed. I had a book, um, uh, the fourth one, called The Shadow Dragons, where there was a chapter that was a filler. And, and I couldn't figure out how to connect it. Um, and, and it was one of those games, you know, what would somebody smarter than me do in a situation like this? And I thought, you know what, what would be cool? If I was reading this book, what would be cool? Giants. Giants would be cool. Okay, so I've got giants, what are they doing? Oh, they're threatening one of my heroes. And they're pissed off at it, but he doesn't know why. And that became a running thread through the entire book. <coughs> and I even ended the book with them saying, so what was the deal with the giants knowing who you were and being all pissed off? And one of the characters says, well, that's a long story. And that's where I ended the book. <laughs> um, and, and the thing was, is right there, one simple answer gave me a great picture to go with the chapter, gave me a running thread through the entire book, and gave me a hook at the end of the book that's going to turn into a graphic novel that I'm doing next year with Image Comics, which is going to be spun off from that plot thread I left hanging. Um, so even, even improvising and fixing problems like that can turn into whole new story threads. So what if we have a character who doesn't speak well? Here's the thing, you can get away with a lot in dialogue, okay, but not in narrative. Okay. Um, but, but, there's a caveat, oh, there's a gigantic caveat, because I have the worst book ever written by a very lovely person, not me, on my hard drive that was sent to me to please stay to read, and every character had like 15 dialogue ticks. And then it's oh impossible. Oh, it's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> no more than one dialogue tick per character. Your main character can have a couple more, but not a lot. Okay. And, yeah. No, I'm yeah, about if, like one. <laughs> yeah. But be be sparing with it. If everyone's dropping their G's, it just doesn't sound right. People, if you say this person is from New Orleans, okay, we people automatically start hearing that in what they view as New Orleans accent. You don't need to write, you know, M-A-H for Ma. It doesn't have to be Ma, okay? Because it's confusing and makes it harder to read. And most people despise things written in dialect, by the way. So be careful. I'm going to be having tomorrow morning, I think at 10.30, 11.30, I'll be not in this room, but on this floor somewhere doing um, a class on dialogue specifically and then also a class on description. One of the things I'll be talking about in the description or the dialogue class, that <clears throat> Jay is, is, is touching on, is you have more options than just like dropping the G's, for example, like word choice, word length, word structure, how long is a sentence, how short is a sentence, things like that. There are a lot of things you can do that don't necessarily come off as what's the word like fabricated or yeah, they, it, right. or you know, what's the word? <coughs> Forced, forced, forced. forced. Yeah. I would actually say doing things like dropping G's and misspelling works against you. It stops your reader. Yes. Okay. But I agree, my Angelou's beloved. There's none of that in there. Yet the word choice, the sentence structure, the way the characters speak, you know they're speaking in dialect. 
but it's all written beautifully in perfectly spelled words. There's just no question what those voices are because the words they choose and the way they express themselves. And that's probably important. I'll give you a good example. Um, the, the Here There Be Dragons book. Uh, when my characters get to this, this world they're journeying to, um, they're picked up in a steam-powered car by a talking badger <laughs> named Tumblr. And my main characters are scholars from Oxford. And he can't pronounce the word scholar. So he calls them the master scowlers. <laughs> and that one word choice has been so endearing to readers. That they'll come up, I've had at least two, um, just, just today, that came up and said, I love Tumblr. Tumblr and the master scowlers. We perfectly express awkward scholars anyway. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, a point on Tumblr, um, he's a, a little badger character and he wears, a, is, is it a vest? Mm -hmm. I don't remember, but he doesn't have pants. But the image that I had, I just finished this so like a Disney couple of weeks yeah. ago. The image that it conjured to me is like this very prim and proper, almost like a butler character, but because of the word choice and how he chose to spell things for it, it made him from a proper character to a very endearing character just because of that. I was going to add with what you were going on. If you say, if you say wicked smile, you don't have to spell it with three R's. People are going to say it. Because they know the characters from that, you know, from the Northeast. Right. Yes, yes. You don't have to punch people in the face with dialogue. You can let them fill it in. Um, I, I saw a name when I was just a kid. I was reading a name, and it was Phelan. But I didn't know how to say Phelan, so I, he was Phelan forever until someone fixed it for me. But it didn't kill the character just because I couldn't spell his name right. Or I didn't understand. You know, if, you're, if you can tell your audience where they're coming from, they'll fill in the cracks. Yeah, that, that's a very important point, and thank you for bringing it. Um, really trust your readers. A lot of people act like they're the only smart person on the planet, and no one else can understand their brilliant genius, and that's not the case. So a lot of times, if you don't trust the reader, you're spelling things out. Well, they need to know this. They probably don't. Um, they really, really probably don't. Anytime you're saying, well, somebody needs to know this, you need to take a step back, and go, do they? Do they really? Um, you, along the way of, it's like describing yourself. Characters do this a lot. It always causes me pain. Because I don't wake up in the morning and look at myself and go, well, my red curly hair is rather frizzy today. <laughs> Mosh, my beautiful blue eyes are sparkling, however, and my curly lip, beautiful blushing lips. I, I, I don't believe. describe myself. I don't I know. People don't do that. And the, and the more you do that, the more you're saying it's a character. Um, in the Alien series, Kitty has never once looked in a mirror and described herself. She has looked in a mirror and said, I look like a drowned, I, I, I look like a drowned cat, right? But she's not done anything else like that. Everything else you know about her is from what other characters are saying. You know, she's fair because she's worried about sunscreen and someone else says, you, you know, probably, okay, one of the characters in the first book says, uh, you probably look great in a bathing suit, even though you probably sunburn right away. You know, she's fair skinned and he thinks she's got a great figure. Okay, you don't need to do that. Kitty does not need to say 38, 24, 36, right? She does not need to do that. But we have a tendency to want to because we want to see the character in their head. That's okay, but you know what? Letting readers feel in, um, reading is the most active entertainment there is. So allowing your readers to fill things in 
uh, by not giving them everything makes it more enjoyable. You're they're watching our the movies we've written in their heads with our own actors. Right, with their own actors, with their own soundtrack. Well, I have soundtracks, but you know, but with their own thing in there, let them do that. Isn't that what you enjoy about reading? Don't take that away from your readers. I, I would submit that don't describe a character unless some physical characteristic is actually essential to your story. The, the whole idea of closure is something I learned in comics where sometimes we'll present words and images separately or together, and, and it's a participatory art. Um, that same is true for prose, is it's more effective, rather than just giving you know physical dimensions and aspects and hair color and eye color, it's more effective if you give something for the, uh, the reader to contribute to themselves. And if, if I may, I have a, a description that works. Um, it's a little character named Bert who shows up to meet my three protagonists. His appearance was what might result if you shredded an illustrated edition of the works of Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm, then pasted the pieces back together in random order. His coat and trousers were equal parts Old Sultan, Rumpelstiltskin, and Hans my Hedgehog. His shoes, the unfulfilled aspiration of a hundred cobbler tails, and his hat was some ruthless combination of the King of the Golden Mountain and the Shroud. His eyes twinkled, but his hair and mustache were sobbing, and he looked as if he'd been beaten about the head and shoulders with some sort of shedding forest mammal. <laughs> the only organized aspect of his appearance was a large parcel wrapped in oil skin, which he clutched tightly under one arm. So very little actual physical description, but I put all these stories into it. And um, the word that I used to describe him, this is the one word every teacher, every freaking teacher, that I've ever discussed this book with and said, oh, and you use that word. My whole class latched onto the one word. The tattered demalion at the window abruptly disappeared. I, I waited my whole career to use the word tattered demalion in a book. Um, but, but that's the sort of thing is, is, you know, let the readers participate. Give them some reason. As the reader reading that description, it makes me want to know more about that character. Like, why is he tattered? Why does he not care about his appearance? Like, what sort of wild, crazy adventures has he been on to right. negate yeah. that or to get to there? And he just doesn't care. Like, that's just who he is now. Oh, I was gonna uh, add on to that. Uh, in my when I was getting my film film degree, uh, I learned very early on early uh, filmmakers. When they first get a camera, they like to move it around a lot. Yeah. And so you've got these these, uh, these pans all the time, and you've got action scenes. And it's not just steady, you know, like a shaky camera thing, but like the camera's zooming in and zooming out. And uh, my teacher once said, he's like, let the action on the scene, that be the story, let that be the action. When you fill in too much and you're trying to add to it, you, you take away from it. And if you don't allow the, the reader or the watcher to do that. And that, that has always correlated to my stories. Because if you just, you talk about her eyes for 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, so she's got blue eyes. I got it. Yeah. 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 But sometimes, you know, I have a character that she controls water and, you know, she's got these blue tattoos and, and, and it, it ties into her eyes. So, you know, I'll mention, you know, her her eyes every once in a while because, you know, it's kind of like a reflection of her soul and stuff. But I don't dive into the, that swim around. <laughs> uh, uh, do we have any other guests? I'm wondering if that's what I was saying. I have a shapeshifter. 
And normally I don't really see him, but I have always felt because he's a shapeshifter, I should, but maybe I should just walk away from him. Um, well, a um, we're not going to go in depth in that because individual no. stories is not no, not but the general. It, that was actually a problem. It, it could be. Yeah, I mean, it could be. You're again. Have you read? You need to be well read in whatever genres you're writing in. That's that's another thing. And I do ascribe Terry Pratchett, Terry Brooks, others say, and I agree with this. You need to be very well read in the genres you wish to write in. Once you start writing them, you probably should not be reading in them because you're going to unintentionally plagiarize. My other side of that is you will see things that it sounds like what you were going to do, and it can be discouraging because you're like, oh, well, there's 15 just like this. Uh, why would mine be any good? And it can discourage you. Um, if, but if you're not well enough read, it could be a problem. So if you're reading a lot of shifter, if you're writing shifter stuff, but you haven't read a lot of shifter things that are out there, get some more on that just because just to see how other people are doing it how does this um right um the night beat which is the first minor Acropolis enforcement file series my heroine is an undercover police officer but is also an undercover werewolf okay i don't describe a lot in the shifting okay i mean she talks about it in relationship to certain things like you know the special suits so that you're not butt naked when you turn into a, back into a human and things like that. I, I'm very book where that is an ongoing problem. Yeah, you know, so, <laughs> but uh, things like that. So um, how we're doing them is different for everybody and how, and how it comes out. Um, but if you haven't read enough of it, you may be trying to explain too much because you think no reader knows the intricacies of yours. This happens a lot in epic fantasy. People will come up to me and start telling me about their book, and they start talking about, you know, well, nine million years before the story started, and I'm like, is that in your book? And they're like, well, yes, everybody needs to know. I'm like, no, they don't, got it. Because they do not need to know, okay? What your book needs to start, half a page, no more, half a page before the actual action begins. No more than half a page. Um, if you can start at a sentence before that begins and get people hooked in, that's even better. Um, so a lot of, and, and, and some people really love description. I mean, some people really, really love it. And the thing is, is that you have to determine what you're writing. Description is more acceptable in epic fantasy, for example, than in those others because you're taking people to an entirely new world. You don't need the same description level in an urban fantasy story set in New York City. Everybody knows what New York City looks like right now. Well, but you know, part of part of that is um, those of you that have looked up workshops or read about you know how to submit, and they talk about how important the first pages or the first lines, and and I'll see writing workshops where they'll argue about that, about no, no, I need this big prologue and we need this, and, and I'll say, okay, my favorite example of this done well, uh, that kind of proves my point, is the book The Dome by Stephen King, where it's a big Stephen King, you know, a hundred pager. Mm -hmm. But the inciting incident, are, are any of you, are you familiar with the story, the dome, the small small town gets completely encased in, a, in an invisible dome. They're shut off, completely isolated. He does that on the top of page two. He gets right to it. And then the story is everybody being affected by this thing. He could have built up to that thing for chapters and people would have bought it anyway. Yeah. What made the story awesome to me is he goes right to it, yeah. right to it. And anybody reading, um, experienced editors 
experienced agents, and other experienced authors don't have to read 10 pages of your manuscript to know if you're a good writer. Page, yeah. page of time. Yeah. Um, right off the bat, they're going to tell from your word choices, from the cadences, how you're constructing the sentences, and they're going to know in a few lines if they want to keep reading. And that's why you start off with a bang. You start off with your best line. You revise line one until you are sick of it, and make it the best grabber that you can, and make your, your um, first page the best grabber that you can. Your whole idea is, um, I'm paraphrasing somebody here, um, might have been one of the crime writers. He said, you know, go through and leave all the boring parts out. Yeah, that's, um, oh God, he wrote Get Shorty. Leonard? Yeah, Elmore Leonard. Elmore okay, Leonard. there you go. I just leave the boring parts out. What's, what's wrong with writing a book that has no boring parts? Yeah. Uh, if, I, if I could do that more actively, I'd, I'd probably own an island by now. Um, <laughs> but, but it's something to be thinking about, is am I just doing this to indulge myself? as the author, or is this something that somebody's going to think is really cool? We're going to talk about this in my class tomorrow. <laughs> um, going back to your, to your shape-shifting, something as you were asking that question that occurred to me, um, having not read every shape-shifting book under the sun, is we have five senses, possibly six, and there's at least four more uh, that we don't really talk about too much. So even discounting those, what does it sound like to shape-shift? What does it smell like? to shapeshift. I have no freaking clue, but something like that, because we're so, I mean, most of what we're writing, reading, is visual. Take a step back from the visual every once in a while for something cool like that, because shifting shape is pretty cool. What is that, what does that smell like? Smell is really the one that we tend to ignore the most, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. Oh, sure, yeah. But if you yeah. can throw in something in description, uh, or in dialogue, something where something is, where you can t bring a smell, in that's natural, that is also hugely powerful and puts people in it. You know, the smell of chocolate chip cookies baking is something that most people have experienced. And if they haven't, they still know it's supposed to be something really cool. It gives you that that kind of thing. This turning into, let's say, a dragon, let's say it's a were dragon, does that shift does that sh shape shift happen with a smell of, you know, um, roses? Because that's that's a very Specific thing, or is it smells cat pee? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You don't forget that. We're gonna smell it once. <laughs> so something to think about. Anyway. No, that's good. No. Uh, yes, in the back. Um, do you have tips for like? I know I can just do this editing, um, but like for keeping track of like continuity details as you're writing. Um, I yes, um, I tend to just scribble out notes. I also use a spreadsheet to uh, the Alien series. We're at like over oh, 500 characters in it by now. I mean, book 13 is out, book 14 comes out in December. I'm writing book 15. I cannot freaking remember half of these. Where did we meet that person? I don't even know that person's still alive. Let me go check, right? Um, I use a spreadsheet. I just scribble notes. Most of it I keep in my head. I, everybody's different experiment with what works for you. I mean, you know, James is using art and everything like that. I'm not good with that. I have playlists more than anything else. I'm using music and that um, uh, sparks me. So that's why I'm panicked for this because it helped write the last three three or four books. So. Um, I was going to say Excel. I use Excel documents constantly. Yeah. Um, I use post-it notes. Yeah. I get the multi-packs that have the multiple colors and I'll have them lined out in front of my monitor 
um, with the continuity notes for stories and notes for specific characters. And if I hit something I have to remember, I'll put it on one of the post-it notes. Then when I'm doing my final revision process, I'll take away the post-it notes as I add them in the right chapters so that I know when I've cleared the desk of all the post-it notes, I've taken care of all the continuity and character issues. That's good. I like that. Yes. It's clean. Do that per book or throughout the series? It's rare. Um, I've done that pretty much with every book. And the last one, book seven, my, my desk was just covered. <laughs> just covered. Desk my desk is covered too. It's not with anything neat. Not with posts, it's just junk. I'm, I'm a, the, oh, look, it's a mess. I know where everything is. And it was, I, I was never really that much of an outliner until I did a series. And then when I got signed for more books, I had to know where it was all going. Um, and, so and then book like seven, that, that was the big issue was I had to tie everything together. So I went back through the other books and made all the notes of this is left hanging and I did this and need to keep track of this and oh this character died so I should probably take him out of this book. Um, but the different colored post-it notes became a system that was so good even with ideas for future books, that's a whole different color of post-it notes. So I've got this whole little stack of them in one drawer for some books that I thought of while I was working on these. But it's got to be how your mind works. My mind doesn't work like that. That's too restrictive for me. I can't do it. And fortunately for me, God's willing to buy, you know, the ad in the series. I write basically what would be called a promo paragraph. That's my entire freaking outline um, for what the next books are coming. And it's usually the first, roughly the first paragraph of the back cover blurb. And then when it's blurb time, I'm usually not done with the book anymore, and so I have to write the blurb. I write the blurb, and that becomes my outline. Wow. So if you want to see how I outlined the last seven books in the series, you feel free to just look at their blurb. That was it, literally. And then as I get to when the cover artist needs cover details, that's more of an I'm outlining scenes then. So that's the only outlining I do. I just do not work well with it. Again, you've got to find what works for you. What you know, James's method might be perfect for you. My method may be perfect. Whatever Tom's going to say may be perfect, and none of them may work for you. You got to kind of play around with it. Where is it better for you? For me, the act of writing the note down, I might never look at the note again. But the act of writing the note down puts it more firmly into my brain, especially if I'm handwriting it versus typing. I just say some I know. One fairly well-known author who is an obsessive outliner, and she will do a forty-thousand-word outline for a hundred-thousand-word novel. Which, you know, I mean, that's fairly rigid, and she she tracks through all her plot points and does everything exactly that way. Uh, I'm the other extreme. I try to, if I could write like Elmer Leonard, I would be very happy. I try to follow his example, which is you make up interesting characters and let them tell their stories. Yeah. And, and as for continuity, it, I think there's a difference between continuity within a, a book or a novel and continuity within a series. Because yeah. um, if you've ever talked to Jim Butcher about, about his Dresden File series, he thinks of that actually as one long book. And think of each book in the series as a chapter in that book. And if you read them that way, you can actually see how he's developing that. Don't know where he's going with it, but you can see how he's <laughs> developing it. Uh, other series tend to do more exploration of the characters and the relationship. And I think that's what, what Jane's books do more is an exploration. There's a theme, but 
There's a lot more exploration of character. Bad things happen, Kitty saves the day. That's my, <laughs> that's my yes. entire outline for every single book. I literally have no idea at all when I start. I, I have a general idea. I mean, I'm writing book 15. I've got a general idea of what has to happen. And for me, I have outlined in certain ways for continuity, but I had to go back in. Um, I have, because it's a long-running series and my mind works this way, I have a lot of threads that are open, and they stay open for several books, and they're referred to, or maybe you forget about them, and then boom, it comes back in this, oh, oh, I wish we hadn't forgot about that kind of thing for the characters. And so I have to go back. I, I'm tying some of those threads together in book 15. And I have to go back, it's like, I do not <coughs> remember what we know about this particular thing, because I, I, it was small, and I wrote it, and it was books ago, and you know, and, and the first thing happened in book one, and, and I have to go back, it's like, what did I know then, and what do we know now, what, when do we learn these things, to make sure that I'm writing it correctly. But you do have to know that, because you will, we are sincerely hoping, have fans who reread your every book prior to starting up, and they'll catch stuff. And, and let you, you know. And let you know, yeah. <laughs> so I have fortunately caught every continuity error I have made. I have caught it many times after the books are published. But I've been able to fix them in a subsequent book. So I've caught it before most of the people fans have caught it, which is my whole goal in a continuity error. So. Kind of the with a series that you can say, oh, I meant to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, Well, you can't go back. I mean, you know, thank God, my first, the first novel in the series, all of the alien books are still in print. So I can't go back and change something because they're being reprinted in, you know, for, for print running. Um, but you can, in the longer series, you can fix it, you can figure out how. But again, um, it's going to be what works best for you. So try a bunch of different things and see, see what happens. You know, like I said, if you're going to find. And that's true of all of this. Uh, is it 100 words a day? Is it 800 words a day? Is it 400 pages? Is it 4,000 words a day? Is it I sit in a silent room with no outside distractions? Is it like me? I have rock music blaring, and sometimes the song is on repeat. Dick, curse you, Justin Timberlake, because I cannot turn off Can't Stop the Feeling. And, I, um, and my husband hated it the first time he heard it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, this is the only thing. The book is due in 10 days, and this is the only thing that's working. And he's like, I just want to die. Just don't play the rest of that horrible soundtrack. So it's listening to the whole Trill soundtrack. So that, that actually that happens more often than you think. I wrote one of the books um, listening to nothing but a Nina Gordon song. Yeah. Um, over and over. One song. Yeah. Uh, one song. Yeah. And then uh, the last book in the series, um, to motivate myself, I planned a family vacation to Disneyland. Mm. And we set the date. And we had the tickets bought. And it was, we're good to go. And the book wasn't finished. And I realized this is one of those you know, life moments yeah. where you've got to make this work. So I wrote <coughs> 28,000 words in 38 hours, doing nothing except eat chips and guacamole for sustenance and listening to Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtower on repeat. <laughs> and I finished, I hit save, I hit send, and stepped out of the studio into a running van and drove to Anaheim. <laughs> after all that, I get the editor's letter back and he says, well, apparently after seven books, we've got this down because I've only got a few points. This is the cleanest one you've delivered. <laughs> <laughs> you said, dang it, I should have done that the whole time. That's, I know, that's exactly it. <laughs>
So I'm, I'm setting up a Disneyland trip in a week. Yeah, I have fifty thousand words. In a, I have fifty thousand words in a week listening to the sixty-nine eyes perfect skin. Or the, the that entire week, that was all that was playing. And my husband said afterwards, I used to like that song, and now it's like <laughs> fifty thousand words. I you can't do that all the time, but if you get the right thing that motivates you, it can work. Oh shit. <laughs> so I was just wondering, so, so we've got a book, we, we've edited, you know, we've got our characters, so what's the first step of getting noticed, published, moving on? Well, that's yeah. Don't, well, okay. We have all the thoughts. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, first of all, obviously, there's there's the. I'm not going to open the debate right now, but there's the self-published versus traditional. Okay. My personal take on this, and we all have separate answers for this, is I encourage authors to go the traditional route first. To try their hardest to do that, um, because the things you're going to learn in approaching agents and editors and that whole process will serve you if you choose to self-publish later. The other thing is self-publishing is not going anywhere. It's always going to be there. Take a year or whatever it's going to take to try and go the traditional route because there is, there's, there's a, you know, it's, it's just nice. It's nice and random house. It's like, sure, that, that's a good feeling. It's good. Um, there won't be any money, but it feels good. Um, there'll be some money. There'll be some money. There'll be a little bit. And then you'll um, spend it all going to God. <laughs> <laughs> these, these fire books are all in all right but, it, but to answer the question in the traditional route, um, I would point everybody to agentquery.com. Agentquery.com. That's where you're just going to find a clearinghouse of all the agents. Um, is it like nationwide, basically? Or uh, yeah, well, or the thing I like about Agent Query is that they um, get all the agents that are there. Um, publishers, publishers Weekly does not. The NSF has big, thick books. They're out of print. They're, out of, they're literally out of date the minute they're printed, and they vet no one. Uh, but Agent Query does. The other place I would tell you to go is Absolute Right, W-R-I-T-E, Water Cooler slash Forums. It's the largest author's education and watchdog site on the net. Yeah. Uh, it's free, and um, there's tremendous support there, including uh, the Beware's recommendations and background checks form. I would, you can check in. I would not be at this table right now if I had not on that website. Me no question. Uh, Absolute Right was so important in my career that they're thanking the acknowledgments of Touch by Hand. So, That's absoluteright.com. Um, Absoluteright, W-R-I-T-E. Um, and there's a newsletter, which is not what we're sending you. We're sending you to the forums. Yes. So you want their, their water cooler forums. Um, but I'm with Tom. I went traditional. Um, I think it is better. I have things that are, like I said, traditional, traditional large, traditional small, and self-publishing. The one thing I would caution against is a publisher that's ebook only. And the reason why I caution against that, there's so many and they're all failures, but there's the reason why, unless it's something like Karina, which is part of Harlequin, or um, Voyager, which is part of HarperCollins, um, and you're going to have a better shot getting into those with an agent, anything that publisher is doing for you, you can do yourself, it's self-publishing, and better, and cheaper, and probably more effectively, and take all of the profit. Anytime someone says, well, I don't know when you get an agent anything and they take all the money, I know that person just is either never had a good experience with an agent or is an idiot. Okay, because what they're what you're paying that agent for is to get you up to Daw, Penguin Random House and HarperCollins and all these other places and get your book in worldwide. I have a worldwide fan base because I'm a Penguin Daw author. Not because I'm so awesome, it's because I was with a good publisher. Okay, so 
the ebook only ones, they're just doing exactly what, it, or ebook or with print on demand, they are doing exactly what you can do yourself. Maybe they're doing it okay, but most of them are going to go under within three years because they are badly managed. And they're going to take your book and your money down with them. I have not hit any one of them yet, starting like that, that are good. There are two small, a couple of small presses that they pay royalties and they do all these other things. They're still doing great because they were very careful in how they did it. But most of the, if they're e-only and all these other things, meh. One of the things, I raised my hand I don't want to forget this. <laughs> uh, and I've seen this happen. It happens all the time. Um, when you finish this book, whatever it is, and it's your, as I think Jimmy said, your special snowflake, uh, cool, great, awesome, start the, the querying process and whatever. While you're doing that, write another goddamn book. Not in the same and series. And not in the same series because I've lost track of how many writers they've spent a year, 10 years, 20 years on this, this one book. They send it out and out and rejection, 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 rejection. And then one day, some high-powered agent grabs and says, <coughs> nope, not for me, but I love your voice. What else you got? And they say nothing, and you're done. You're done. You got nothing they to show They will not wait for you. You're done. I mean, you can requery them after you write your second book two or three years later if you want to. And they won't remember but you if you're you, done. Yeah, but if you have something ready to go, bam, right there, your chances have just gone out. It's yeah. Stay, you don't even, I mean, you write in whatever genres you want, but I think it's best to at least go a, a sidestep to one direction or the other, if not a completely different genre, um, just because of, of that house. You have to have this this uh, catalog of material ready to go. You don't know what's going to sell. Yeah, you don't. You don't have so any you know. idea what's going to sell. So if you already have ideas for a series, don't invest in that series. Right. Correct. What my agent said is, I can't sell book two until I've sold book one. Yeah. Don't waste your time on book two, three, right. four. Like, yeah. book one, right. Book awesome. one, and write the next book one, and someone else write the next book one, write a standalone, write whatever. Yeah. Get a, it's product. The minute, the only time it's yours, and by the way, I've had a child, None of these are my baby. My baby is a corporate lawyer in LA and I'm very proud, okay? <laughs> this is product, okay? The moment it leaves your computer, it's product. This is a business, okay? Business exists for one reason and one reason only is to make money. If they don't think they can sell your book, they're not gonna cut take you. If they don't think they can sell your book, they're not gonna give you a contract. If they don't like your book, they're not gonna read it. Okay, it's a business. It has nothing to do with you and your needs. Getting rejected from a job, that has way more to do with you than someone not liking one of your books. Mm -hmm. And y'all need to take that step back and stop acting like it's your child, because it's not. You know what? Oh! CPS isn't coming to take me away. Can I get a discount on that? Yeah, 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 two cents off. The library. I take someone's kid and drop them like that, CPS is coming and everybody's having hysterics. These aren't children. They're not living things. They are product, okay? They are creations that you are hoping to sell. And by the time they reach market, they're going to be touched along the way. Your editor, your agent, yeah, all that. Yeah, and no one's going to call and say, oh my God, my book was touched in an inappropriate manner. Okay? No one has to ask, where, where, where did they touch you? Tell me on the book. Okay? They're living things. They are something that you're sharing and ask whether you're creating something, and that's great. It's art, but it exists 
to be out there, to be sold, all these other things. The moment it leaves and you're querying it, it's product. The only thing you can be all special snowflake about, while it's still on your computer, make it as special and wonderful as you can, and the moment you're sending it out, that is product, focus on the next thing. You do not know what's gonna sell. You do not know what's gonna sign you. When I was writing Touched by an Alien, which is the first book in the Alien series, I knew while I was writing it was gonna get me naked. I did not, I just my whole team, we all just knew this is the one. Didn't know it would sell. Had no confidence that anyone was going to buy it, but I knew that it was going to get me an agent. That had also got me a two-book deal with Dawn and gave me a career. I didn't know it was going to happen. So, and you don't. And every book after that I handed my agent, she's like, oh, this one's going to sell. It took us two years to sell an agent. Two. Two. Okay. No idea what's going to sell. So write a lot. Yes. Two things. So generally... So generally, how many do you have working on at the same time? Ooh, well, that's going to be yeah. me a lot, a lot. I, actively or just? Uh, yes, actively. I have a, a lot of deadlines, and b, I have a mind that does that likes to jump. And so, at any right now, I have two novels and three short stories due before the end of December. Two more novels, uh, three more novels, sorry, lie, four more novels, please God, and nine more short stories due in 2017. I've got three right now in various stages, and that's, that's a probably an average for me, it's about three manuscripts. Yeah, about the same. I've got a couple that are due, um, one that's got to be published soon, one that we're trying to sell, um, an anthology project, a project where I'm doing covers for a lot of books, and you know, staying busy is good. Yeah. And, and it's okay. I mean, it, it, however you write it is fine. I, I mean, I was constantly hearing that, well, you have to finish in order to finish whatever you're writing. If I'd done that, I would not have a career. Okay? Thank God I didn't finish some of the stuff that I was writing. Okay? So, do, again, it's do what works for you. There is no one right way. There is no one right way. As long as you're sitting your butt in your chair and you're typing or writing, there's not a right way. It's the right way that works for you. That would I have so many projects up in the air. My, my problem is time management since I have a different career, and uh, so my writing time is kind of stolen. I just finished a novel that hopefully it was asked for by a publisher, so hopefully they will decide that they indeed want that book, which could lead to a series. But I am not starting the next book in the series until they buy that one. I'm going back to a historical novel that I'm writing, but my problem there is the obsessive research has consumed so much time that I'm not sure where I'm going to go with it now. Okay, I think we have time for her and okay, her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, closing scene. Um, you mentioned not putting a lot of description of a character in your novel, like people mm -hmm. who are reading it fill in the gaps. Um, I'm a very visual writer, like I like having a piece of artwork in front of me that I can that inspires me to write a lot. Um, and you, of course, do the illustrations in your chapters. So, do you think it's a better idea to have a good, solid idea of what your character looks like and who they are physically, or just let them develop in the writing? I think you should know what they look like. Yeah. And you should be able to, you, you need to know what they look like. Like, if I was describing you, it would be she's got glasses, long blonde hair, and she's in a tank top. That's all I need for the nice lady that asked the question. 
Now, if you're my main character, I need to know how tall you are, I need to do all these other things, but I'm not necessarily, someone else is going to react to it. And again, it's different. James does more description because he's writing fantasy and people really, it, it, genre really matters. Fantasy requires, I describe a lot more when I'm writing fantasy. Um, so it just depends, but you need to know what everybody looks like. You need to know everything about them. Whether if you've got it written down or just in your head, you need to know because you're sharing with us. And until if you don't know what they look like, how can we know what they look like? I just want to say that I like to try to say this at all of my classes, regardless of where they are. Is if, if this is something you really want to do, if this is something when you wake up in the morning, like I get to work on my book today or whatever, if you've got that thing that makes you do that, then then give yourself the time to do that. Every single one of you in here, we all have different life circumstances, sick grandma, whatever, things that, that require time, surgery, whatever. Okay, you gotta do those things, that's cool. He's not gonna walk out of, well, time to write, gotta go. So I'm not saying that, but you can do 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. every other Tuesday, or whatever it is. You deserve that time, and make sure that the people who you are beholden to have a discussion with them if you have to, like, I just need this particular time, protect it, guard it, use it, and that will also, I think you will find, help you write more and better because, oh shit, I got an hour, bam! And your mind starts to figure out when it's Tuesday at 5 a.m. at Starbucks, guess what? It's writing time and you fall into a pattern a lot more easy, but every single one of you deserves to do that if that's the thing that makes you happy. You don't have to do it at 5 a.m. I just really want to stress right now. I would kill myself <laughs> if that's when I was my writing time. I'm a night owl. That that um, I'm fine at five a.m. if I've been writing and one you know and James and I are like racing each other so he gets to go to Disneyland. Um, you know I'm great. I'll write till six a.m. But I was up <laughs> before that. So it's what it's what works. You really turn off the television. I can't stress that what James said that how important that is. TV gives you nothing back. Nothing. It is the most passive of all entertainments. You sit there, little jewels will come out of ground. No, it's not giving you ideas. No, it's not giving you anything. No, it's not filling up your creative well. Take a walk, pet a dog or a cat, take a shower, read a book. Don't watch television. Jenny, where can everyone find us here? Everyone can find us in Authors Alley. Uh, we are in the A row and. 400, 400, 400 row, and James is? Uh, 424. 424, yeah. we are, I think we are three, are we still four? We're four, still four. Look to the hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all the same. But we're A12, you're A something. Huh? 12 to 22. Yeah. Come back to class this morning, thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you all for coming. James is still in here. We have more people talking about self-publishing, so do stay up. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.